0: Welcome to Oncofarm. I'm your host John Bazar. I'm a professor of pharmacy practice here at the supporting sponsor of Oncofarm, ETSU's Bill Gate College of Pharmacy. We often talk about a newly approved drug that is approved via the accelerated approval process by the FDA, and the endpoint is response rate, uh, and often that response rate is using in uh, is using the RESIST criteria. So let's talk about RESIST, which is response evaluation in solid tumors. Uh, uh, And this is version 1.1. There's a 1.0. This is 1.1. Why it's not just version 2, I cannot tell you. But I can tell you that version 1.1 was published in January 2009 uh, in the European Journal of Cancer. Uh, The primary author is Eisenhower, spelled differently than the patron saint of, uh, of Europe, um, one of my favorite Eisenhower references uh, is from the movie Stripes which four of you will get that reference so this was published in January 2009 uh, at that time I was uh, finishing my PGY2 uh, big albums that year uh, included uh, Oracular Spectacular by MGMT uh, the uh, debut album by both Fleet Foxes and Vampire Weekend which, are, which still have no skips um, so a little background here uh, about this, so in in 1981, the World Health Organization actually published tumor response criteria, but it wasn't universally adopted. Cooperative groups, uh, pharma uh, would modify them to accommodate new technology. So, like MRIs and CTs became more prevalent. So they they would use those. Um, so this led to uh, an international working group in the in the 1990s to come up with the first uh, resist criteria, and uh, and. Uh, in 2008, uh, uh, 2009, they updated this to resist 1.1. So I want to walk through this, certainly not at the level of detail that a radiologist would work with this knowledge, but more at, at a, at a um, working clinician uh, at pharmacy nodule. So uh, there are. this is looking at, you know, basically drawing lines um, and measuring these things. So the first thing is the tumors. Well, before actually, the first thing is this is specific to solid tumors, and the complete response, partial response, stable disease, progressive disease—those are progression of disease. Those are the the endpoints we get from this. There are separate criteria for liquid tumors. Okay, so for for uh, AML, there are of course criteria for complete response, complete response with incomplete recovery, and and uh, and that's oversimplified. We have the International Myeloma Working Group criteria, where you've got not just partial response, complete response, but a very good partial response, which actually means something. Um, We have criteria for CML that are unique to CML. Uh, So this is just looking at at solid tumors here. Um, And the first thing is that the lesions have to be measurable. And there are certain criteria where below a certain size, we say that that is not measurable. Um, non-measurable lesions can include bone lesions, cystic lesions, or lesions that have already been treated locally, say, with radiation. Um, now, you can assess these with clinically, so you can have, like, calipers, you know, and you can see how big, you know, so, for example, uh, uh, a big old tumor uh, growing through um, on the arm that you can measure uh, with calipers. X-ray, CT, MRI, which are typically preferred, uh, ultrasound, endoscopy, these sort of things are, are not very well preferred. Okay, so getting into our criteria now. So first thing that is done is identification of target lesions. And there can be up to five target lesions. Um, And these are based on the size. So a bigger lesion is probably going to be more of a target lesion. It should be representative of all organs involved, right? So if you have a primary breast mass, your target lesion should not be probably the five lung mets. The breast mass should be included since it's breast cancer. It should also be uh, a lesion that is in a spot that can easily be uh, reproduced with measurement. So let's say you had um, you know something that was in a, a crowded area where it was sometimes hard to determine is this this organ or that organ. That may not be a great target lesion. And then the diameter of those lesions, the target lesions are then summed, that's called the baseline sum diameters, okay And a complete response, is when you do the imaging or the clinical assessment, you don't see any evidence of disease. That's complete response. A partial response is a 30% decrease in the sum of the diameters of the target lesions. 30%, so you have to have a 30% decrease in the diameter of all those target lesions combined for this to be a partial response as I'm reading these criteria. All right, now this gets a little bit confusing. So it's a a 30% shrinkage To be a partial response, but a 20% increase to be called progressive disease. And there's more to PD, but if you want to just be very simple, just remember 25%. It's about a 25% increase or about a 25% decrease to be response uh, or progressive disease, which a with a lower bar to call it progressive disease, because in actuality, it's a 20% increase is called progressive disease. A 30% shrinkage is called partial response, but it's not just a 20% increase. It's a, uh, for progressive disease. It's a 20% increase in the sum diameters of the smallest sum on study. So let me give you an example. Let's say somebody has a 20 centimeter lesion that grows to 24 centimeters. Right, it's grown by four centimeters. That's 20% increase. That's progressive disease. If that 20 centimeter lesion shrinks by 50% down to 10 centimeters, that is a partial response, right? That's a 50% uh, decrease. But now at 10 centimeters, if that grows to 12 centimeters, it's grown by 20%, that is then progressive disease. And the way that could be reported on study is the best possible response. It would be called a partial response, even if the progressive disease happened shortly thereafter. And progression of disease is the endpoint that is often used in progression free survival. Of course, somebody could die, but in many solid tumors, progression of disease is what will lead that PFS curve to decrease, uh, usually before somebody dies from death. They could also, that PFS curve could also go down or decrease due to coming off study or not being followed long enough. So, that progression of disease can happen after a partial response, where a stable disease, could be you didn't have, would be you did not have a response you did not have progression of disease, so it can be a little, a little misleading just to look at these response criteria in a vacuum because you can have a patient that has stable disease for nine months, you can have a patient, uh, say patient A progress or standard stable disease for nine months. Let's say patient A has a partial response in three months, progression of disease then at six months and dies at seven months. Which is one of the reason these criteria are pretty much universally accepted and used in solid tumors, but they um, are not the end-all be-all, right? Overall survival is still the best endpoint that we can use here. Um, They are very much, in my opinion, analogous to measuring blood pressure in a drug to treat hypertension. The point of treating hypertension, yes, it is to decrease the blood pressure, but ultimately the reason you're decreasing the blood pressure is to prevent or reduce the risk of stroke, heart attack, and death. That's why you're doing it. So we want these drugs for salt tumors to decrease the tumor in hopes that people live longer and that they have a better quality of life. And those are the more important points uh, to consider. It is also worth considering that the resist criteria, which the 1.1 criteria we currently use, were developed in 2008 going into 2009. That was primarily based in the cytotoxic chemotherapy era. This was pre-ipilimumab, before we had immune checkpoint inhibitors. There was IL-2 and, and TNF-alpha not used a whole lot. We only had a handful of TKIs in January 2009. We had a matnib, nilotinib, disatinib, or lotinib. Uh, serafinib and sunitib, I think, are all the ones that we had. We weren't quite fully into the targeted therapy era. Now, more importantly, we know that immunotherapy, immune checkpoint inhibitors sometimes can lead to something called pseudoprogression, where um, the tumor, because of local inflammation, appears bigger on imaging at, say, your two or three month first imaging standpoint, and looks like progressive disease. We have some uh, the I-resist, which you wonder if after the iPod, if they would not be called I-resist and be called like ImmunoResist, but they're called iResist. They're not formally adopted yet. It's kind of an exploratory endpoint. Uh, they're still, and this, these are published in Lance Oncology 2017. Essentially, the, the key difference here is the first time you, ident- as I understand it, the first time you identify progressive disease, you call it i, unconfirmed progressive, progressive disease. And if it's still progressive, at subsequent endpoints, it becomes progressive disease. But because you can experience tumor progression or pseudoprogression and then have a response that needs to be accounted for when you're using something like progression-free survival, because you might have patients that have initial progression on immune checkpoint inhibitor, Um, and it could either be pseudoprogression, and it is... Uh, inflammation causing the cancer, or it could be actual progression before the drug has had a chance to work. We know responses take a little bit longer to occur with immune checkpoint inhibitors than with cytotoxic chemo, which is why in all these lung cancer and GI studies, when you compare immune checkpoint inhibitor alone to just cytotoxic chemo alone, the progression of survival curves often cross initially, where there's an early progression in our immune checkpoint inhibitors. because they take a little bit longer to work. The immune system needs some time to get trained up to, to fight these tumors. So that's the iResist, which would be specific for um, immunotherapy clinical trials. Um, uh, it's a little bit of an un, of an unanswered question. Should these be used instead of Resist? You could also argue This is not the most important question. The more important question is overall survival, and we should devote our resources as a society in funding and uh, designing studies to assess overall survival with adequate power uh, rather than having these discussions, especially when you consider that um, many um, combinations of cytotoxic chemo and immune checkpoint inhibitors uh, are used together uh, in, in clinical trials and to treat these cancers. So this is a, really a fundamental kind of thing to understand if you're working with solid tumors, which is why I want to do a podcast about it. Um, so again, just to, to to wrap this up, resist criteria, complete response in solid tumors. Tumor's gone visibly. Doesn't mean it's cured, but you can't see on a CT scan. You can't palpate, you know, lymphadenopathy or anything like that. You can't see the mass uh, anywhere that, that we can see. Uh, a partial response is that the, of these target lesions, there can only be up to five, there may be others, they have, um, they have decreased in size um, in some by 30% without the new occurrence of another lesion. So a new lesion, you can have a mixed response where like a lot of the cancer went away, but suddenly there's a brand new liver lesion that would be considered uh, disease progression. Stable disease is you don't have uh, partial response and you don't have Disease progression. Disease progression is an increase in the sum of the target lesions by 20%. Um, and the, the easiest way to think about this partial response: things shrink by 30%. Stable disease: things are between 30 and 20% change. And progression of disease is things that increase by 20%. Um, but as I said, this is a surrogate endpoint. It's like seeing A1C go down. That is good, but we'd like to see people live longer without dying from diabetes or having complications from diabetes like nephropathy, neuropathy, uh, or retinopathy, for example. Okay, so that's the resist criteria. Thank you for listening. You can follow me on the app, formerly known as Twitter, at PharmD. And you can follow the podcast on both uh, the old Twitter, Instagram, and threads at OncoPharmPod. And until I talk to you again, remember, doses matter. Thank you.